Today is October 13th. It is 2019, right? Yeah, amen. This is our uh, ninth session of the One Association meeting that just happens to be held at LCM. Um, we want to read Matthew 4:19. There's a great misunderstanding in the church today. And uh, you guys are tasting of something that I, I, I think can be said in a single verse. Come follow me. Who said that? If we quote any half of a sentence that you say without emphasizing the other half of what you said, that half truth becomes a whole lie. Amen, Justin? See, I listen when you guys preach. That half truth becomes a whole lie because we've been told all of our lives all we have to do is follow Jesus. That is less than the whole truth. Come follow me, Jesus said, and... Somebody say, and... I will send you out to fish for people. Following Jesus is only as good as your discipleship with Jesus. Many people followed him. They ate loaves on the hills. They followed him and watched miracles. How many were at the crucifixion? How many were in the upper room? In John 8, Jesus said, you really are my disciples if you continue. See, discipleship is not coming to follow Jesus. That's your introduction. Discipleship is what you do because you're following Jesus. If you are not being made into something, you have missed the entire point of the kingdom. We do not just follow Jesus. We do not just believe on Jesus. In believing, we follow. In following, we are transformed into something. What did he say we would be transformed into? The kind that go out and fish for people. Now, that is among the first statements that Jesus makes in red letters in your Bible. I mean, after he's baptized, it is the first statement. Do you remember what the last red letters in Matthew are all all about? Go out and you will make disciples of all nations. We don't just fish for people. We fish for them to transform them into disciples that can create disciples. Somehow or another, 2,000 years of preaching has missed the point. We are to be disciples creating disciples. In Hebrew, disciples, plural, is Talmudim. These are Talmudim. They haven't graduated from being Talmudim. They don't stop being Talmudim. It's like DCD. Once you're a Talmudim, you're always a Talmudim, provided you live like a Talmudim. Now, they are going to share with you their experiences because we expect, God expects you to become Talmudim like them. So what do you mean like them? Well, they're different. Some of them are handsome. Some of them are ugly. All of them are anointed, but they're anointed in different ways. Listen carefully. We are not teaching you to wear boots. 
We are not teaching you to adopt a certain style of speech. We're talking about a way of life. Listen carefully with one intention. How do I implement what these men have shown mastery of? The reason they're making disciples, the reason that they are pastors is they have mastered this. Perfected it? No. None of us have. Mastered it? Yes. They show dominance over the attributes of this way of life. Get it right every single time? No, none of us do. Master it? Yes. And you are apprenticing with them. They are the master teachers and you are apprenticing to become like them. All right, stretch forward your hands because you are the church of the living God. Reach your hands towards them. Father, we as the congregation pray for our pastors. Lord, we thank you for the way of life that they're demonstrating. We thank you, Lord, that them following you allows us to follow them and you. We thank you for it. In the name of Jesus, we pray. These are the Talmudim. Amen. So what we want to do for you this morning, the word Talmudim. Each one of us standing up here has a letter. And we're going to break those down for you so it will help you to remember exactly what the Talmudim are. So are you all ready for that? So I have the first letter, T. And it stands for take in. You know, the Bible teaches us plainly that what you take into your life could end up mastering you. Because if you take sin into your life, whether you know it or not, it will end up mastering you. So what are we to take in? We are to take in Jesus. We are to take in a rabbi who will teach us not just how to be a good church-going person. We're learning about a way of life. And when he taught it, it was Talmudim. So let's take a look at a couple of scriptures on the letter G. And these are going to come in rapid fire because there's, how many did y'all count? I seen somebody counting. There's eight. So these are going to come in rapid fire, okay? Mark chapter 1, 16. It's going to sound just like what we had on the screen a while ago in, in Matthew. Mark 1, 16. And as he was going along by the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net in the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. See, there always has to be a place where you start, and it's, there's an a invitation that goes out to you. And it's from our, our king, our master rabbi, and he's saying, hey, follow me. He didn't say, come join a church. Come watch what I do just to become a church member. He said, come examine my way of life. Take me into your life and follow me. And then he said, when you do that, something's going to happen. He says, I'm going to make you into something. Mark chapter 3. Starting in verse 13. He went up to the mountain and he summoned those whom he himself wanted 
And they came to him. See, he wants you. And he pointed 12 that he might be with them. That he might send them and to preach. So see, there's that concept again. Take in and go out. That's the process. You are called. Do you realize that? The call's always going out. You are called. You're responsibility is to respond to that call. Let's go to 1 Corinthians. Everybody say Talmudim when you get there. Chapter 11. First Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1. <laughs> Love it. Be imitators of me, just as I also am of Christ. I want to share that this passage right here literally transformed my family. Literally. Because in a different translation, it says, follow me as I follow Christ. This is Paul. Who's Paul? He's a rabbi. He's teaching the people that are following him. And he's saying, hey, you follow me as I follow Christ. See, I got to a plateau in my early life with the Lord and and learning and growing. And I realized that, you know what? I've learned a lot, but what about my family? How's this going to apply to them? What do I do with them? And so I, I realized that, you know what? I've got to start imitating this to them. And how we did that was the church that I was going to, we had an open door to go to Mexico. So I gathered my family together one day and I said, look, you know what? I'm going to ask you to follow me as I follow Christ. And how we're going to do that, we're going to put this into action because we're we're talking about take in so that you can be sent out. I said, we're going to go and we're going to Put out. We're going to give out. We're going to put it into action. It, didn't, it wasn't received very well. You can ask my daughter. She's back there. You can ask her later. It wasn't received very well. But you know what? We put it into action. We went out. And it literally transformed my family. And listen, if you take in a master into your life, It will transform your life. If you take the word of God into your life, it'll transform your life. You have to have this in your life so it can transform you. You want to know what you want to put in your life? The word. Y'all all all know Clay. One of the first things that Clay asked me, what do I do, pastor? I said, word, word, and word. Take in the word. That's the first place you want to start. Take in the word. Hey, let's go backwards. We're going to go back to 1 Corinthians 4. Here's another passage. It says about the same thing. We're talking about take in. Paul says, I exhort you, therefore, to be imitators of me. For this reason, I have sent to you Timothy, who is my beloved and faithful child in the Lord, and he will remind you of my ways. Everybody say, "My my ways. Which are in Christ, just as I teach everywhere and in every church. 
So the call is for you to take in a master, a rabbi, a teacher into your life, and then you want to imitate him. The really good teaching about the Talmudim process in, in, the, in the Hebrew culture was, hey, you follow that guy that's in front of you, your, your teacher, your master so closely that the dust off of the back of his feet gets on you. If there's no dust on you, then you're not following close enough. Hebrews 13. Got two more. I'm surprised that Bola hadn't already shouted this one out. <laughs> Hebrews 13. Verse 7 and 8. Remember those who led you. Who are you being led by? The Bible also teaches that if you are led by the Spirit of God, you are the sons and the daughters of God. Amen. Who are you being led by? Do you have a rabbi in your life? Do you have a master that you've taken into your life? Remember those who led you, who spoke the word of God to you. And considering the result of their conduct, imitate their faith. You know why a lot of churches won't teach this? Maybe because the guy on the stage doesn't want nobody to imitate him. I don't think we need a bunch of some of these guys that are on some stages multiplying. Verse number 8 says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So he started this pattern, and guess what? If he's the same yesterday, and he's the same today, and by the way, he's going to be the same tomorrow. This is the pattern that we have to follow. We have to follow this pattern. There's no other pattern that will work. It has to be the Talmudian pattern. And I want to close with uh, one more scripture. Matthew 28. You don't have to turn there. 19 and 20, it says, Jesus spoke to, the, to his disciples and he said, All authority I have given to you, that you would go into all the nations and make them into Talmudim. Amen. Make them into Talmudim. Amen. Listen, we know that as what? The Great Commission, right? It's not the Great Suggestion. It's not something that you might want to think about. He said, you will. You go. You make. So let me ask you something. If we are not fulfilling... The Great Commission. Do we have a right to call ourselves the church? All right. I'm just joking. I don't get to speak. Everybody say, take in. Take in. Now we're going to talk about attach. Uh, this will be brief because it's a little bit to say, but a whole lot to do. If you're not attached, you're not following. If you're not attached, you're not following. So what Zach would have shared if he could talk was that his first time in a service at LCM when I invited him to visit us. He just hopped up out of his seat and he said, I don't know what y'all got, but I want it. Zach then attached himself to the work of the Lord through my life as... Eric and Matthew, these guys are working through my life, and the process begins. If Jake could speak, and we'd let Kelly get up here, but she's long-winded. They would, they would tell you about how being attached, 
has brought about great victory in their life. I rode into this town and I attached myself to men of God. I did not follow them. I attached myself to them. I watched Pastor Eric preach his father's funeral. I was sitting in the back. I was attached to him though. It's important. Six months later, I preached my mother-in-law's funeral. You know what gave me the grit to stand in that place? Attachment. So if you want to follow, follow so close that you're considered attached. Because you're not going to get life unless you're stuck to them. You say, that's extreme. I know it. And that's why the road is so narrow. That's why it's so narrow. Here's the importance of this. Joshua chapter 3 says, uh, concerning the ark of God, when it's crossing the Jordan, this would be the time in which God would do a miracle and they would see Joshua as the same mantle that Moses carried. They'd see this miracle and they would see him in that light. But the passage, uh, the verses just before that, in verse 4 of Joshua 3, There shall be between you a distance of about 2,000 cubits by measure. Do not come near it. That sounds like an interesting little phrase when I'm sitting here saying, Be attached. Despite looking at the, the Hebrew word, it often paints the picture of being near. But he does say stay back a little bit. Why? Because you've never gone this way before. You've never gone this way before. But what is he saying in stay back? He's saying, you watch this. You watch what God is getting ready to do. And then you're not a bystander. You're not wondering what makes me different than them and all this stuff. You just get attached You get in the flow of the pattern of God that has worked since the beginning. And you watch what the Lord does through your life. But if you're not attached, you're not following. Luke chapter 14 speaks to that. It'll be the last scripture I read. You can flip there with me. And I'm going to read it really quick. It says large crowds were going along with him. And he says to them, if anyone comes... To me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters. Yes, even his own life. He cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not carry his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. If you skip down to 32 or else while the others are still far away, he sends a delegation and asks in terms of peace. And he says in verse 33, so then none of you can be my disciple who does not give up all his own possessions. Do you know what happens when you attach yourself to teachers and rabbis and pastors? I I attached myself to Matthew. God showed me in a dream that I would never be launched till I learned to worship. And then Pastor Matthew... Because I was attached to him, he helped me raise up my pastor who leads me in worship every Sunday. What are you going to do with that? You think you got a better way? You don't. If we attach, if we attach, he gets his work done. 
take in, attach. That leads us to the next letter, which is L, which is the word lavish. I just want to quickly summarize my brothers here. Pastor Treister taught us about take in, but I want to make sure that you understand something about this. See, our American, very Western mindset talks about what we're going to take into our lives. Let me encourage you, if you're still thinking that way, then you still need to be discipled. This is not about what you're going to take into you. See, that's still focused on you. The hope is, is that you can be taken into a process that you see that is working. You see that a process that is biblically based and producing results around the world. See, when we're talking about being taken in, it's about you being received into what God is doing. Not you taking him in as if you are the controller of these things. See, then you get attached. But there's an attachment that goes both ways. There's an attachment from the master disciple maker to the Talmudim and from the Talmudim to the master disciple maker. There is a mutual attachment. Somebody say mutual. Mutual. That leads us to this next letter. Lavish. Would you put on the screen for me 1 John chapter 3 and verse 1. You ought to turn to this because you're going to really, really like this verse. Go ahead, turn there. I know we have it on the screen, but you need to get used to using your Bible. Say Talmudim when you're there. 1 John chapter 3 and verse 1, it says this, How great is the love the Father has lavished on us. Somebody say lavished. lavished. That we should be called the sons, the daughters, the children of God, and that is what we are. The idea that God lavished upon us. Somebody say lavished. lavished. Come on, ladies in the room. You know what I'm talking about when we talk about lavish. Yeah, we do. Every woman wants a husband who will lavish affection, lavish gifts upon them. See, if you are a husband and you do not reach over and, and kiss your wife, you just miss an opportunity. I got you, baby. I got you. Master disciple maker right here. I'm helping you out. (laughs) To lavish is to be generous or extravagant with your life towards another. See, once you've been taken in, once you've been attached, then the the next step is to begin to lavish your life upon each other. A master disciple maker is going to lavish revelation and time and teaching and correction and opportunity. Because now that you're attached... See, you want to give them everything that you have. There is a mutual lavishing that is going on. Because most of discipleship, y'all ready for this? It does not occur in an academic setting. You know why I think that's hilarious? Because that was my background, was to sit in an academic setting. Was to be a school teacher, was to be a principal and say, let me teach you. You know what I had to learn? You know what I had to be taught? That's not discipleship. That's not the only part of discipleship. See, what happens is, is when you're taken in and attached, the lavishing is what causes you to help grow. It moves you. It moves your heart because not everything happens in a prescribed setting. That extravagant, generous manner. Think about this. How many times in the Word, how many times in the New Testament does it say, as they were walking along the road, Jesus said. As they were going about just doing the daily activities of life. Or another passage that will say, Jesus, knowing their discussions, began to teach them this way. 
Now, he could have had a divine word of knowledge in that moment. That is true because he is Jesus Christ. He could have just been listening to what they were saying. Because they were always, he was always lavishing upon them and he heard them. He heard the cross talk in the room and whoa, 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 whoa. What did you just say? What are you talking about? Are you still so slow? You don't understand what I'm trying to get at? How many times in the word is it shown that as they were eating, as they were breaking bread, Jesus said. See, this is, these are pictures of a lavish kind of discipleship that we just miss most of the time. Because to be lavish doesn't just happen only in a classroom setting. Turn with me to Ephesians 1. And we'll read verse 7 through 9. As Pastor Wade was sharing with you about the conversation that Jesus had with his disciples, are you still so dull? That is also a very real conversation that happens in discipleship at LCM. Is that an amen in the house, guys? And we all benefit from it. Verse 7. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us with all, everybody say all, all All wisdom and understanding. I want to share with you guys that we have lived an extremely lavished lifestyle. I'm talking about one that would make the citizens of Dubai jealous because we have not sought after the riches of this world, but we have sought after the riches of our heavenly father. And as we have sought after those heavenly riches, he has lavished upon us so that we could lavish upon our disciples. Can I tell you that revelation is something that we go after on a daily basis so that we can give revelation to our disciples? And I can tell you from personal testimony that more revelation has occurred at a dining room table underneath the hood of a car or getting a truck unstuck from the mud more than it has anywhere else. In one of our journeys back from Mexico, a wheel came off of Pastor Eric's truck as we were ascending a bridge over a river. Immediately, Mr. or Pastor Mike Hutchison jumps out the truck, runs, and grabs the tire before it descends back in our direction. Can I tell you, the very subject that we were talking about Seconds prior to that tire coming off was about discipleship. It was about experiencing things in the kingdom, and we were sharing, we were lavishing upon our disciples what we have experienced in the years past in ministry. And immediately, the Lord afforded us an appointed time to be able to lavish further discipleship. What that led to is preaching the gospel at 3 a.m. at I, an IHOP in Corpus Christi. Watching souls be wrecked and changed. We have the opportunity as disciple makers to give our disciples something that's truly a treasure. And that is all the strengths that God has poured into us for them to possess and eliminating the transference of all of our weaknesses. We need to seek the storehouses of heaven, to be lavished by our king and his heavenly throne so that when our disciples come knock on our door and as we open up in generosity, those storehouses of heaven won't lie dormant in our coffers, but they will be poured out to make our disciples rich for the kingdom. 
M is for model. Everybody say, my pastor is a model. Especially King's Harvest. The Bradley Cooper of Denham Springs. Each one of these pastors up here has been a model to me. I mean that. I speak on behalf of Pastor Slaughter that each one of these men have been a model to us. I have been so encouraged. See, I was a little late to class, but I'm a fast learner. I was able to sit down, find my seat, and watch these men who have gone before me. I've gotten to see Eric Treister and his perseverance. And when I'm feeling like, how am I going to do this? I think of Eric Treister, who has most more perseverance in his right hand than many pastors do in their entire body. I think of these three men from Submission Ministries. The humility and dependency that they operate in is contagious. It makes me want to be a better man, a better husband, a better son. These guys. I told Jake, he's like the Pentecostal John Piper. I was getting wrecked, man. These two gentlemen here, every time Nick and I are in trouble with something, our first, our first thing should be prayer. We say, should we call Wade? Oh, no. Uh... Should we text Matt? (laughs) These guys are such a fountain of wisdom for us. A fountain of wisdom. They have gone before us in so many ways, and it is an honor to look to them as a model for me and say, I've seen brothers go for it, go through it in the right way, and I am going to do the same. I think of this man. You don't know this, but Brent was in, in a season of my life when Danielle and I sold our house. We moved in with the Hutchinsons, and I met this man who was getting rid of everything. See, I was having a, a pity party because I, less, I lost my house with the screen and porch that I love. <laughs> and then Brent comes in my life, and he's talking about leaving everything and moving to another country. And I said, self, shut up. Sacrificed, man. Thank you. Uh, Buddy Brasso, every time I'm around you, I literally, I feel the encouragement of the Spirit. You are such an encourager to me. I, I, he is a Barnabas. The, the truth, I've been to Peru twice. Nick Slaughter has asked to go to Peru twice, and I said no. Because I wanted to be with Buddy. Mike Hutchinson, I've... <laughs> and Kim. Where's Kim? Come on. I love it because when I bring the young guys there, she'll just punch them in the mouth with the Word of God. I've told you all before, Michael Hutchinson and Jen Hutchinson changed our lives. They brought us in. 
we attached to them. They, they, they invited us into their house. I, I, I remember the day when we were standing in his house, and he asked me, do you guys want to come in and be discipled? I didn't have a response. I was so humbled that someone would see me in that way. These guys changed their life. I know I joke a lot with Justin Johnson. I don't know someone who works more tirelessly for the kingdom of God like you, Justin. When we came down there and you were working to get everything set up for the One Association, and not even that, but throughout the weeks you continue to work hard with your hands so you can make a living and, and pastor people, you work so hard, Justin. I want us to give it up for Justin. Because you have overcome a lot of obstacles. Thank you for leading me in that. We're going to go to John chapter 13. When you're there, say model. 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 We're going to pick up in verse 12. It says, when he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments... And resumed his place, he said to them, Do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and your teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. And listen, I don't have a whole lot of time to go into this, but there is such a prophetic fulfillment that's happening in this moment. Jesus is cleansing his disciples as they are priests as he's getting ready to be sacrificed as the Passover lamb. He's not saying, hey, I want you to do kind things for one another. I want you to serve each other like priests. And you're going to get to see the way I serve you as a priest. He goes on. He says in verse... 14, I'll pick up there. If I then, your Lord and your teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you, that you also should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. See, a lot of times people, they're saying this discipleship process isn't working out. Because what you're doing is you're trying to discredit the model that was set before you. And as you're doing that, you're missing on the blessing of following the model. And you're saying this whole thing isn't working out. I don't like the way they do this. This kind of just feels weird. You know, people think... That, that when we come to something like this, that everyone just wants to dress the same. Everyone just wants to look alike. It is not true. It's just not true. It's not true. It's not true.
Not only are these tank tops cool and comfortable. Uh, you guys like these? These are the yoga pants of the DCD. <laughs> All right. Bring it back. Here we go. All right. No, there's, there's one thing I, I do want to talk about real quick, and then I'm going to pass it on. See, what our brother read earlier about 1 Corinthians 11, 1, follow me, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. There's a difference between an imitator and a mimic. See, the mimic sees how people act, they try to act the same, they see the fruit, and they're just going after the fruit, but an imitator goes after the heart. You will not know the heart of the men and women that you are seeing as a model if you aren't taken in, if you're not willing to attach, if you're not willing to be lavished, you are going to miss it and you will forever be a mimic instead of an imitator. We are going to imitate the model that was set before us. So how do we do that? Because you see, the whole process is a single process. Every part has to be in place. You know, I was thinking, well, I want the, the eye. Because I, want, I think it's the most important, but really you can't get all the way to implement if you haven't attached. I mean... The whole process is important. But I think failure happens the most at implement. Because we all want to hear a good word. I mean, you're all pastors. How often do you hear, brother, that was a good word? Not as often as I'd like. Yeah. And as pastors, we just want you to implement the word. Amen. I've only got one scripture uh, because it says it all. It's uh, Philippians 4, 9. Philippians 4.9, whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put into practice and the God of peace will be with you. Have you learned anything? Have you received anything? Have you heard anything? See, it's, we are satisfied with learning and learning and learning and learning. And we're forever learning, but we never come to the knowledge of the truth. Why? Because you have to put it into practice. Wow. If you've been in marriage counseling, 
And the first day you're there, you get homework. And all those who have taught marriage counseling, what happens if they come to class two and haven't implemented the homework? Kick them out. We don't go on to the second teaching. Why? Well, you didn't do the first. Why would you do the second? See, marriage counseling isn't fixed because you got a bunch of knowledge. It's what, it's what you are learning. You must implement. You have to put it into practice. That's what makes you a disciple. So we're learning and we're putting it into practice. We're receiving. We put it into practice. Sometimes it's correction. Put your correction into practice. And put what you hear. I love the way Paul says it. He says, have you seen any of this in me? That's why you have to live in such a way that you can say that. Have you seen any of that in me? Put it into practice. Brings a lot of clarity when Jesus says, you you know who the foolish man is? He hears the word. We hear a lot of word. A lot. But he says he's a fool if he hears it and doesn't put it into practice. And you can, the failure is not when you fail and that you don't get it right. It's failure when you choose not to practice it. Some of us are professional failures. We're so afraid to fail that we fail. We don't even, we're not even willing to put it into practice. And we have already failed. Because you know what? If you are trying to implement it, at least try. If you fail in the implementation, we have another letter. It's the letter D. And Buddy's going to give you the D, okay? Hey, when we were handing out letters, Buddy said, I want the D. Be careful. Be careful. Be on your guard against the yeast of the Sadducees and the Pharisees. Trista, did you bring it? Zeke, did you bring it? We don't have it. Guys, we forgot the bread. The bread? The bread? Jesus said the bread? Really? You're concerned about the bread. I said, be on your guard. Be on your guard against the yeast of the Sadducees and the Pharisees. Why? I'm not speaking about the bread. Do you not remember the five loaves? Do you not remember the seven loaves? Be on guard. Warning. Just like we heard in prophecy this morning. Warning. The Lord gives us a warning in our lives. Why? Because he's talking about the teachings. The disciple said, oh, man, he's talking about the teachings. 
the teachings, not the bread. See, I am the D. I'm bringing the D. Why? Because it's about direction. Jesus was given direction in daily life. Whenever he did something, he taught him. He said, this is direction. This is how you do it. He used the word of God to do it. He said, let's go to Timothy. 2 Timothy 3.16. We're bringing the D today. It says, 2 Timothy 3.16. All scripture is what? No, no, no. It's ruach. It's ruach. That's what Pastor Treister, I'm sorry, Pastor Justin taught us at the conference. It's the Ruach. It's the breath of God. It is useful for doing what? Teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. See, Jesus did this. He was the master disciple maker. He said, this is how you do it. It's in training in righteousness. Why? So that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped. Look at these men of God behind me. Do you think for a chance that they became men of God because they simply picked up a little discipleship booklet, began to read it right here, and they said, oh, man, this is great stuff. I love it. As Pastor Wade said, it's not about academics. It's about everyday life. It is a lifestyle. It's what we do every day. And why? So that they may be equipped thoroughly, not just a little, but thoroughly to do good works, to do the things that our father in heaven has called us to do. We never stop doing this. What it looks like in my life. When Pastor Treaster and Clay came to Peru, where you at Clay? Brother, you remember we were working in a field with some friends of ours. We spent two hours laboring alongside them. But before we got started, He wanted to offer a land sacrifice. He wanted to pour out the wine on the field and bless the harvest. And immediately I told him, I said, oh, brother, yeah, we don't do that where I'm from. According to the word, we don't do that at all. He looked at me and said, oh, pastor. I said, yeah. I brought him to Romans 125, a scripture that one of my dear friends, Ray, gave me when we were down in Aguas Calientes, Mexico, visiting Pastor Romero. Romans 1.25 says that they exchanged the truth of God for a lie. They began to worship the creation. They began to uh, worship the created things instead of God, the creator. I told him about that passage. I said, brother, we don't do that. I said, but we will thank Almighty God for the harvest that he gives us. But we will not do the things of this world. You are trading in the word of God for your customs, for the things that the Incas brought here many, many years ago. So church, do not exchange the truth of the gospel for a lie anymore. I brought the D. (laughs) Amen. He did. He did bring the D. Amen. Amen. He brought direction. After direction comes initiation. You see, I love direction. Because in direction, it's it's affection from heaven, isn't it? But it often comes as correction. In order to receive it. Oh, come on. Anybody love some affection from heaven? Oh, then say, give me some correction, Pastor. 
Turn with me to Matthew chapter 20 and verse 20. You see, at this point, we're starting to see a progression in our minds. We're starting to look to a, a, a growth pattern in our lives. And, and, and you're thinking at this moment, oh, praise God, when I get to the end of that, then I would have arrived. But initiation, by definition, is caused to begin something. <laughs> you see, we, we're always looking for an end, a destination, but every destination is a platform for beginning to be like Jesus. You see, at this point in your mind, you might be lifting uh, us up in some way, right? And uh, that, that's where correction needs to come. Look, this happens. It happens in Matthew chapter 20. In verse uh, 20. Then the mother of Zebedee's sons came to Jesus with their sons and kneeling down, asked a favor from him. Come on, anybody's mom ever asked for favor from God for you? Maybe you've asked yourself, Lord, could I just get some favor? What is it you want? He asked. She said, grant that one of these two sons of mine might sit at your right and the other at your left in your kingdom. Jesus says, you don't know what you're asking. I love this because you know what he, he didn't say? Don't ask that. He didn't say don't ask that. You don't know what you're asking, Jesus said. Can you drink the cup that I'm going to drink? We can, they answered. This is Talmudim. They've been with him. He's starting to wind down his ministry and saying, yeah, 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 I'm coming to an end. Didn't the scripture say it was good that I go away? It's good that I go away. You see, this is where initiation comes in. Let me finish. Jesus said to them, you will indeed drink from the cup, from my cup. But to sit at my right hand and, and left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom... They have been prepared by my father. Then the ten heard about this. They were indignant with the two brothers. Come on, that's real discipleship right there. Jesus called them together and said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so for you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must become your servant. Come on, does anybody want to be great in the kingdom? Yes. Amen. Don't give me false humility. You want to be great in the kingdom. But this is a place of where you begin. We must be servants in the kingdom. We serve the king of glory, don't we? But watch this. And whoever wants to be first must be a slave. Just as the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve. And to give his life as a ransom for many. You see, we think that we're, we're at a destination, but the, the truth is when we finally become Talmudim according to the word, it's only a place of beginning. We're now starting our journey. For what? For, for an exaltation? No, no, no. No, uh, 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 a promotion in heaven is a demotion on earth, right? That's where we're going. We're getting low. And maybe you've gotten low, but God's calling you to get lower. 
And you see, as we're looking at this progression of men on this stage, you're thinking, boy, right, we're really going to uh, get promoted in the kingdom. Amen. Amen. What well, starts with becoming a servant, but it ends with becoming a slave of all. You see, if we're going to magnify Jesus, we have to be just like him. And his word directs us. That direction comes with correction and that correction is affection from heaven. And that affection comes because he wants you to be just like him because you are an ambassador of him. But you must be a slave of all. You see, the funny thing about initiation is when you begin to transition from a servant to a slave, the ones who might have discipled you before. The Holy Ghost doesn't always allow you to call them every 10 minutes. There's a distance that happens and you're like, oh, yeah, yeah, I got I got past Derek on speed dial. That's for sure. But sometimes he doesn't answer my call because he knows I call him too much. And after a while, I'm like, okay, he's on the phone. Yeah, he's on the phone with Pastor Massey. But listen, this comes, this comes because we must be dependent upon the Holy Ghost. And he said, I, it's good that I leave you so that you would become not just a servant, but a slave of all. Do, do you see the progression? Do you see the need for correction in our minds, thinking that we're now going to ascend to some higher level of Christianity as though there's an elitism in this place? You see, the men on this stage are any different than you, Talmudimer, all of us in this place. We are all shooting to be Talmudim in this place. And so we have to break down this understanding or this mentality of elitism. Pastor said during um, uh, during worship that uh, we, this is the point for me. This is how I heard it, that we go from being consumers to contributors. You, you, you think when you're serving the body, right, and you're, uh, you're 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 within a body and and just uh, consumed by servolution that now you've you've reached your goal and you don't realize why am I so depleted in spirit? Because this is a place in character that is being built in you. But you must now go from servant to a slave of all. Because the word's asking you to become Talmudim. Initiation is a place of beginning. Beginning what? Beginning to be just like Jesus. Magnifying his name, him and him alone. Amen. Amen. The last letter is uh, is magnifying, where Pastor Hutchinson just ended, and um, all of this is really paradoxical. The whole word is none of this makes sense. I mean, when you when you think about each thing that the Lord is asking of you, it doesn't make sense to your your flesh and your natural way of thinking. And it is absolutely paradoxical what God asks us to do. That's why you need a teacher to teach you the ways of the Creator. 
and not the ways of, of you and I, right? That's why we have to adhere to what the teacher is doing. And the way that you magnify what the teacher is teaching and what God wants for you is by doing what the teacher says to do, by, by walking in obedience. And, and it doesn't make sense. I, I, I get it. Doesn't make sense what we say all the time. Well, it, it's free. The cross. It, it's free to come into the kingdom. It is, but it's also it costs you everything. Yeah. It's, it's not. It's not free, right? He wants to lift you up and he wants to exalt you in his presence, but man, he tears you down to get to that point, right? It, it, it doesn't make sense to our natural mind. You, you say, well, is this what being exalted is? Because it feels like I'm getting torn down. Yep, that's right. I don't understand that. I know you need to go and do what the word says. And then once, once you attach yourself, once you hear what God's called you to and what he offers you and you accept and you begin to walk in his ways and you attach yourself to people that understand this and you allow God to lavish his goodness on you, you begin to understand, but it doesn't stop there. It continues on in the process and you realize how to model your fleshly nature into the image of the creator. And it breaks you free from being just the created and you actually begin to walk around with the knowledge that the creator has. And I tell you what, that's powerful. I need that teacher, right? And I need to be around those who have an understanding of that. And that's why it's so important. And as God continues to bring this into your life, as you attach yourself and you model yourself after those who have an understanding of this, it, what's paradoxical too is that the Lord says, do all of these things, but you, you don't become just like the person that you're with. You don't imitate another man. And you're like, well, wait, I thought I was supposed to, I thought all these things were good. I, I want to preach like this, brother. I want to teach and I want to prophesy and I want to do all that. Yes, you're absolutely supposed to. But at the same time, you don't, you're not duplicating man's efforts, right? And that's tough because men want to be like other men, Right? We see some good quality or good trait. And we're like, well, I want to do it that way. And you got to be careful because that's not what God's asked you to do. God's asked you to glean from men, leaders, teachers, preachers. But don't take any of their attributes. Only take those attributes that they are mimicking of the Father. And that's it. And that's tough. That's why we can't stress it enough. That's why I don't have a beard, by the way. If you're wondering, why is he a clean-shaven, baby-faced man? It's only because I'm trying to make that, you know, let everybody know I'm not trying to be just like, no, I can't, I can't. I'm joking. Unfortunately, I want to. I want a beard like Eric. I can't tell you. I look at all these brothers shame me with their beard, except, look. Kindred, kindred. But the thing is, is we're not trying to, you attach and you be like and you model and you're inspired by. But what you should be inspired by is Jesus in those men and women. The Jesus in the church, the Jesus in the power of God's spirit that is demonstrated on a daily basis. Not, don't follow any man. Jesus didn't even follow his own self. He said, everything I do, I do it for the father, right? Everything. And this is the only thing that works. I'm telling you. 
This is the only thing that works. This is the only thing that produces this. It's not us all wearing the same t-shirts. We do that to unify this one message that Jesus represents. We do that to be part of a team. Have you ever seen a football team where everybody's wearing different colored jerseys? No, that's stupid. That'd be dumb. What does it work? We're on team Jesus. And, and we're unified by that, by obedience in this. The, the saying was that you want to get so close to your rabbi that he'd kick up dust, right? And that he, the dust that he kicked up would get on you. And, and that, that's great. But what it, what it caused is followers would, would, would get so close to the rabbi and they would elevate the rabbi and they would, they would make the dust holy as if the dust was something holy. There's something that the, the rabbi kicked up to show how close they were. And I, and I love that zeal, and that's awesome. But when we're, when, we're, when we're attaching ourselves to each other and doing all these things, being spurred on by one another, being taught, and all of those things, understand that all we're trying to do is kick up Jesus. That's it. And you want Jesus on you. You want God's calling on you. You want His power on you, right? You want, and see, that's the magnify. You've got to really look at who you're magnifying, Right? That's the thing. That's what all of this should do. It magnifies Jesus in you and I. And look, that's it. That's, that's tough. How many of you would, as you're getting older, you have one of those magnifying mirrors in your bathroom? My wife has one. Yep. That thing's scary. It magnifies. It's good because it shows me the areas, you know, where it shows you where we're like, oh man, I need to, I'm getting a unibrow here. I need to like separate that beast a little bit. I gotta, I gotta look at, you know, it, it helps you out maybe. But it also exposes things that, that, that are there that, that are natural things. It exposes, it magnifies, but you gotta have the courage to allow the word of God, allow the teachers, allow those that would sacrifice everything. You have to allow them to manifest in that in your, in your life and to bring that to a, a magnified status. Not so that you can be reprimanded. Not so that you could uh, uh, be like these guys. Not so that you could preach just like so-and-so. But so that you could understand where you need to be more like Jesus. And, and I'm telling you, the other, the other two-edged sword about this is that it's, it's not, it never stops. You, you, you don't start there, end up there, and then you're done. I, I'm, I'm magnifying Pastor Eric. All, I, he's under a microscope. And I'm not trying to see Pastor Eric. I'm trying to see Jesus in him. And, and you know what that does? That keeps him close to the Father. Right? It, that's how we spur one another on. It's not by saying, oh, you're so awesome, man. You do this. this. Those are all great things. It's paradoxical. It's great to encourage your brother. But what you should be doing is saying, I see Jesus in you. And I want to be like Jesus in you. Right? We, and if we're not magnifying the Son, if we're not magnifying what Jesus did, then we become religious. That's how religion started. But if we have this idea where we, we magnify what Jesus has done in each of us, then there's no room for the lies of the enemy. Amen? And listen... It's not how we would think it would be done. It's not. God has this, he's got this perfectly worked out. And if we would just obey, if we
we would just learn to die to ourselves and do this his way. I, I, I want to tell you what it, what it produces. Uh, Brother Charlie Brown, could you stand up? Check this out. Y'all know Charlie Brown? Yeah. My King's Harvest Church people, uh, y'all got a prophecy in tongues from Charlie Brown, right? I, I've told them a lot about that. Y'all remember the prophecy? Beautiful. It's like a Cajun French angelic tongue. One of a kind. This is what Jesus in someone looks like over a, a magnified long period of time. Right? Brother Charlie Brown, y'all all know him as elder and all those things. And he is prophesier. He may have rebuked a couple of you a time or two. Yes, yes. Yeah, I was going to say. <laughs> right? I know him as all those things as well and as my Sunday school teacher. Right? Uh, when I was a six-year-old, five and six, seven-year-old, eight, all the way to eight, Charlie Brown was my Sunday school teacher. And you know, all he did was reflect and magnify the King of Kings. Right? That's it. And, and, and what that produced to me, I, me and Charlie, he, he's not, I haven't had to, I haven't had the opportunity to just be hand taught by Pastor Charlie Brown, uh, Elder Charlie. We, we, haven't, we haven't spent intimate time together. I've been around him all my life. But the impact that he's had on my life is profound because of Jesus in him. When you put the magnifying glass on Elder Charlie, you don't see Elder Charlie. You see a lot of Jesus, right? And, and what that's done is it's impacted my life to the point where as an eight-year-old, that was a long time ago, I'm old. Sorry. I didn't mean to master you there. And I didn't do it. By the way, real quick side note. Stay standing. Wait, stay standing. I'm sorry. How dare he say that model comment when he's got a... Look at that. What is that? With that man bun that he's got on. The nerve, the audacity. Yes, exactly. He does fit it in that tank top. He's the model. Y'all know that. It's beefcake. But listen. <laughs> listen, this is what... This is what magnifying Jesus looks like. And Pastor uh, Elder Brown, uh, Charlie's been doing this a long time. Long time. And it's been less of Charlie and more of Jesus in his life over and over and over. And it's not, like Pastor Eric said, it's not perfect. But the more you exemplify Jesus, the more you exemplify God's word in every aspect of your life, it produces what you see in this room. It really does. Elder uh, Charlie's had that impact on me. Uh, do you know who was in my youth group whenever I was... Where's, where's Caleb? Ah, there's Caleb. What's up, brother? Y'all know Caleb Brown was in my youth group. Again, 20 years, some, a long time ago, right? And this is the thing. 
my, my biggest goal was to, to bring the Jesus to, this, to uh, Caleb the same way his father exemplified the Jesus that I saw in him to me. And in that, in that Jesus is magnified. In that, not in what, what Charlie Brown did. He was just teaching Sunday school. It wasn't just that. He was just, do, he was just imparting Jesus right into my young life. And look what it produced. That young man that he imparted Jesus to, it produced something in me. It produced longevity where I could hopefully impart some Jesus, not me, but impart some Jesus to Caleb Brown, right? Matter of fact, if you were in our youth group at King's Harvest, can y'all stand up? I know it's all going to be King's Harvest people. But look how this, this is what this does. These guys were in our, yeah, and y'all know this. Y'all give them a hand, right? These are... And, and this is the thing. It's not, it has nothing to do with Justin. Wait, wait, stay standing, stay standing, stay standing. Sorry, Charlie, stay standing. One more minute. This is what magnifying Jesus looks like, is my point here. It has nothing to do with me. It has nothing really to do with Charlie. It's going to have nothing to do with these guys. Uh, but, and and but we, we keep doing this. We could have Pastor Eric stand up and we could have Treaster stand up and we could have, and we'd all be standing at one point. But the point is, is that it's not, I, I'm not, I can't prophesy like Charlie Brown can. I can't do that. I, in the mirror, I've tried. Oh, no, I can't do it. But what I can do is I can live Jesus that Charlie Brown imparted into me, right? I, I, I model and I attach myself not to Charlie Brown, not Caleb, not to me. These guys, not to, just to me, it's to Jesus in me. Amen? And this is the thing. That process keeps going on and on. And that's what keeps us sharp. That's what spurs us on. When Pastor Eric knows that he's got all these men examining him and magnifying him, you know what that does? It makes him want to be more like Jesus. Amen. Right? Makes, it makes him want to humble himself and be more like Jesus. Amen? Amen? Amen. Amen. I encourage you guys. Amen. Magnify Jesus in your life. Amen? Amen. Y'all give hey. Pastor Eric a hand. Give these guys a hand. <laughs> Pastor Eric, what was your letter? T for take in. Y'all remember when Jesus took Peter in? He had a revelation. Saw himself as unclean and he began repenting. He then followed Jesus around. What was your letter, Zeke? A, attach. A, attach. You're not going to read any story about Jesus where Peter's not there. Say, oh, well, that was Jesus. 2,000 years after the revelation of who Jesus really is, you look at this wrong. They didn't understand that Jesus was God immediately. They just saw an anointed rabbi. They had to learn. Those of you that are in the will I follow Jesus crowd and just Jesus, uh, you're really foolish. Foolish. Jesus Christ ordained men. That you follow as you follow Jesus. I dare you to read the Talmudim if you feel that way. I also would love. We, we clear every chair out. Put a camera 
and we can sit and discuss it, and you can broadcast it to the world. You uh, are entitled to be wrong if you want to be. You must attach to men that have shown proficiency. You must. There, there's no other way. Tell me you're going to become oh, the world's greatest athlete without ever having been coached. Tell me that. Okay. And athletics is for children, by the way. We're talking about the things of God. After we attach, pastors, what did you have? Lavish. The thing is, is in 26 years of ministry, I can't tell you when it's going to occur. Like, I would love very much to know, like right now, for sure, in the next seven minutes, this is going to happen. Most ministries happen at the most inconvenient time. The guy goes and knocks on the door and is demanding bread. When was it? It's the middle of the night. Ministry doesn't happen at convenient times and places. Do you know what it means? If you're going to learn real ministry, not stage ministry or staged ministry. If you're going to learn real ministry, you have to be with the person you're learning from. That's why they, they lived and traveled and worked together. Okay. Since I don't know at what hour I'm going to be approached by a Syrophoenician woman, you have to be with the person you're learning from. It's really that simple. That's what life, but it's lavish. How many of you want somebody two inches from you all of the time? Look, my, uh, in my family, you followed too closely. I mean, they were a little bit rough people. My mom would slap you across the face. I, if, if she stopped and you bumped into her, she had a phrase for it I can't see, say here. Had, why are you all? Yeah, it doesn't matter. In the kingdom, it is a lavish opportunity that people get to be that close to life. And since you could only do it with so many... Jesus picked 12. He couldn't do it with the whole nation. But he trusted those 12 to change the world. And then, M. M, Pastor Massey, when we're talking about modeling, I know it can be a funny word. I loved his, his take on it. We're not mimicking each other's eccentricities. Somebody's been in our church eight, nine years, just in a moment of honesty, said, listen, we always wanted this discipleship opportunity, but the truth is, is I don't want my husband to be like you. I said, I understand. I'm not sure I want to be like me. What do you mean? You know what she meant? She wants him to have the kind of life I have. She wants him to have the kind of relationship with the Lord that I have. She does not like beards and doesn't want him to grow a beard. Okay. He happens to be a handsome, strapping gentleman she doesn't want him to be weak and emaciated <laughs> he happens to have a full diet and like all the food groups i don't i eat only meat she doesn't want that they happen to care about what they put in their body and when they sleep and when they wake up and i don't we're not talking about mimicking we're talking about a way of life that has been modeled okay and it is so true that we can still follow the model of a first century galilean jew although nothing about your daily life mimics his life it follows the model that took us to 
implement. If you are never given the chance to try, you will never learn. And that is the problem with the church world today. Your job is to sit and soak. Your job is to hear and absorb, hear and absorb, hear and absorb. The discipleship process says, listen, you just saw me. In fact, I've just prayed over this bread. You break it into pieces and hand it and let the miracles happen in your hands. If you do not set the stage and give other people the chance to implement what they're learning, then it's not discipleship. Jesus did it over and over and over. Men can get addicted to having other people listen to them. That is not discipleship. And it's dangerously close to an entertainer. Imagine that we go to an electrical school for the next 25 years but do not become an electrician. Would you consider it an electrical school? Something's wrong. Okay? The only thing you... <laughs> I'm not going to make jokes right now. From implement, we move to direct. The reason that we move to direct... Did you get anything right the first time? Not riding your name, not riding a bicycle. No teenager should be insured, period. Like, actually, they all need insurance. Nothing that you do, do you get right the first time. But in Christianity, because you had a Sunday school teacher that put felt stickers on a board or something, oh, man, you've got it down. Don't fool yourself. If you have the courage to try and you're being discipled, the disciple maker should have the courage to direct you. Okay? Do you know why we don't have prophecy in most churches today? Because when you give people microphones, they say stupid things. Really stupid things. You can't imagine the kind of garbage we've had to work through. So it's easier to just do not give anybody the chance to implement. Read the scripture that says you can all prophesy, but do not give them a microphone. That's because those people do not have the uh, spine to give direction. See, when somebody prophesies, that's good. They're getting to implement. They need direction then. Hey, brothers, sisters, that man stepped out in faith and he sure was trying. And he just, look, he didn't get it quite right. We're going to go in this direction. That is not cruelty. That is loving direction. And then you run straight to that guy afterwards and say, I'm so proud of you that you had the faith to try. Don't you stop. Don't be a coward and back up from direction. You have the courage to try. I have the courage to direct you. That's what direction is. From direction, we move to initiation. This is what most people think of as ordination. The problem is when a man is ordained, you think it's done. I'm looking at Jason Miller right here who I love. He knows as well as I know. You get ordained and you're like, hey man, it's done. And you are horrified at the responsibility that you now have. And you don't know whether you know what you're doing or not. Initiation is when you begin to try to do what's been done for you for everyone else. On either side, who was direct? Step forward. On either side of direct, we have an eye. You're going to implement and need direction. It's very close. You implement and you need direction. The difference with initiate 
is most direction is behind you. Most. Not all. Most. I got to tell you, and you can ask Michael about it, he preferred the implement stage because I was right there. I was right there. It's safe. You think you don't like lots of correction? It at least lets you know where you're at. He's in a scary place now and doing a great job. Because there's not somebody, most of it is behind him. Now he has to think to what was said. It's not being said to him in the moment. He has to pick up the phone and call. Initiation does not make you completely independent, but it means that you're expected to stand on your own two feet and do what was done for you. Every man on the stage has been through that. When we get to where Pastor Johnson is, he gave us an amazing take on magnify. I want to give you one more. So that we are not creating an ever decreasing pool of anointing. See, John Calvin may have been wonderful. I don't think so, but he may have been. The problem is, is the next generation of his disciples, you know, five point flowers or whatever they are. They weren't as amazing as he is. And that's why you don't know their names. You get another few generations in and you can't name any of them. Today, we are celebrating a dead guy. Now, if, Cal, if Calvin's your guy, I could have picked Luther. I could have picked an Anabaptist. I could have picked anybody. That is the wrong way to build the kingdom. If nobody knows your name, we want them to not know your name because the person you discipled outshined you. Who's the first person to lay his hands and pray for Paul? See, some said Barnabas. It's not. It's, it's Ananias, a devout believer. You know, it's the only thing you know he did. But man, he did that well. Magnify is taking what you've been given and doing something with it. Okay? And as to Justin's point, it's not mimicking. I mean, let's be honest. If Mr. Massey put tattoos on his arms, right, his arms would still be better looking than mine even if he scarred them with, with tattoos. Mimicking is not what the magnifying is. Take what you were, what was invested in you and do something. I want to put one scripture on the screen and we close. It's Acts 5.15. Peter was taken in. Peter was attached. Peter had lavish opportunities in his life. Peter was there when behavior was modeled to him. Peter got a chance to implement that behavior. Peter received more direction in the Bible than any other man. Peter was initiated by Jesus himself. Feed my sheep, feed my sheep, feed my sheep. The most corrected man in all of the scripture then moved on to magnify. Say, have you ever seen anything that was greater than what Jesus did? I mean, in John 14, you'll do greater things, but do you ever see it? You do in Peter's life. As a result, people brought the sick into the streets and laid them on beds and mats so that at least Peter's shadow might fall on some of them as they passed by. Peter's shadow, it goes on, it, it healed people. You know whose shadow never healed anyone? I mean, unless you're a Roman Catholic and then Jesus did all kinds of things not recorded in the Bible. The Bible never records Jesus' shadow healing people, but it does Peter's. You were not limited to be only what your teacher was. Your teacher is empowering you to become more than they are. 
That is the point. That is the whole point of this process. Now, we did this today. You know, these are pastors. They could preach on anything. We did this today because I wanted to show you something. Every one of these men are seated where you were seated. Every one of them. They are Talmudim. They are disciples. And they are creating disciples. What we want is for a constant flow from these seats to this place. Say, oh, well, one day I'm going to be in five-fold ministry and I'm going to be on the stage. No, you're not hearing me. I'm not talking about their function within the body. I'm talking about disciples that move on to creating disciples. Those functions in the body, they're chosen by Jesus. None of us chose it. Are you surprised that never in a million years did it cross my mind I would be a pastor? I would have gladly gone to war with cannibals. I would have done anything. We don't choose that part. That part is chosen for us. It's his calling. But you choose to be a disciple. By the way, where do apostles, prophets, teachers, pastors, evangelists come from? Who makes disciples? You do. Jesus appoints apostles, prophets, teachers, pastors, evangelists, and he appoints them from a group of people that you have to make. Why do we not see things happening? Why is the kingdom not moving forward? Well, maybe the engine of the kingdom is disciple-making, and we haven't been doing it. One of the most amazing things is you can have the potential to make a disciple who will pastor you for the rest of your life. That's how the kingdom works. It's not a hierarchy. It's disciples making disciples. We're going to stand our feet, and we're going to pray to close this meeting. We have had eight altar calls, and most services, we've had two altar calls in each service. I'm interested in a life that is altered, not lives at the altar. I want to say thank you to those of you that have traveled so far to be here. Those of you that live here, I don't care. I want to say thank you because I know a little something about travel and it's weary, it's expensive, and it's not something that the flesh loves. It's like it's always a good idea until you do it, you know? Like, I, I would love to just go somewhere. My God, who, who, who made all this traffic? It's proof of Satan's work on earth. But you came here. And I think you were better for it. Sharing your lives with other people is an investment that you can't imagine how it will pay off. When we're talking about a Talmudim process, churches, all of those things, understand something first and foremost. All of us met somewhere. We all fell in love with Jesus inside of each other, and we all shared our lives with each other. The one association is not some corporation. In fact, you may be in the group, and you really love a few of the guys on the stage, and you're not sure about the other few. It's true. It happens. 
I've heard a lot less of it this year, but in years past, I've heard those things. Do you trust the guys that are on stage? Then if they love somebody, you should love them too. See, we're learning already. That's discipleship. So he's my pastor, but I just don't know about this. Then why is he your pastor? Well, I trust him about spiritual things, but not with money. Huh? Then why is he your pastor? I trust him about this, but not... See, if you accept what you like and you refuse what you dislike, you're not a Talmudim. You're a rebel. A goat. Masquerading as a sheep. We preach the way we do and we push at it and push at it. It's tried to drive the goat out of you because goats turn into wolves and they eat sheep. You're here for something and we want you to have it. You have followed Jesus so that you can be made into something. These men will help you become what you're supposed to be so that you can then in turn help others become what they're supposed to be. If there's anybody out there and do not raise your hand, who has 30 strong disciples that are more capable than you are, then you can excuse yourself from this. But you could also aim for 60. If there's anybody out there with 60 strong disciples, more capable than the kind that you see right here, well, you could excuse yourself from this. Or you could aim for 100. Every soil that received the seed and it grew was intended to bring a crop of 30, 60, or 100-fold. If you don't have that, then you better take this process more seriously. Now, here's, here's the hard part while you're on your feet. I'm speaking to those of you that have been in the kingdom the longest, the most. Do not excuse yourself from it. Your years in the kingdom will be an indictment against you if there is not a harvest from the investment that's been made in you. Now, you younger in the kingdom. It's good for a young man to bear the yoke. Work while it is daylight. I am 44 years old, and I have been in ministry 26 years. Do the math. I was not a prodigy. I was thrown into a sink or swim environment. And by God's grace, he helped me to swim. I don't want anyone else to ever have to do that. That's why we're talking about this. We need each other. We need the fathers. We need the sons. And we need those that are somewhere between. And we need to become disciple makers. Join hands with each other. Can we join hands? Lord, I thank you that you will do so much with the humble hearts that are in this room. Lord, I can see that your spirit is circumcising away pride. Lord, I can see that your spirit is moving in holiness upon your people. Lord, we say that we want to crucify what does not belong in us and among us. We want to become what you have called us to be. Lord, may your anointing be upon those that have been in the kingdom more than 10 years. Lord, may they catch up quickly. May they catch up quickly. Lord, would you give them a voice? 
Would you give them a voice into men that could learn from them? Father, would you catch them up quickly? We are a generation without fathers. Lord, would you catch them up now? In the name of Jesus, would you give them a dedication to what is, is happening? Would you make the wineskin of their hearts able to receive a message that we do not lose those that should be fathers? Lord, we're asking you for the sons that are in the room, for the young men that are in the room, Lord, that before they're corrupted by years of doing it wrong, that this message would take root in their hearts. Lord, that they would so outshine us that they would become a crown to us. Lord, may your anointing be upon them. Lord, may, may they get these principles in them deeper than we have them and turn and teach us as we get older. Lord, from this group, will you raise up a righteous harvest for yourself? Lord, will you allow us to reach the nations through disciple making as you have said? Lord, we dedicate ourselves to that purpose. We love you. Lord, we love each other. Lord, we love the differences among us and we love the similarities. We love you among us and between us and in us and through us. We love you. In the name of Jesus. Amen.